0: Hello and welcome back to League Talk. This is going to mark episode 10, which I am extremely happy. We've got to 10 episodes and I'm thrilled with the amount of people that have been listening and the response that we've got through uh, Anchor, through iOS, through Spotify. Everything has been going amazing. The previous episode has been our best one yet in terms of viewership and popularity in which we had Daruk, who was a League of Legends coach, um, and that went really, really well. So hopefully, this is going to be like an amazing upward trajectory, where the rest of the podcast do really well off the back of that. That's what I'm hoping. But let's get into episode number ten. This is going to be about traditional sports versus esports and the major differences for coaches. So, as myself, my name is Alex. I am a business developer and a professional sports coach for both sport for both uh, sport for both tennis and for football. Um, I am currently studying a sports management degree at university, so I've built my last six, seven years of professional life as a sports coach and someone who's been uh, pretty prolific in the sports industry. So I think The things that I have learned from traditional sports and the way that my mind works as an analytical mind looking at esports, I think this is going to be a really interesting podcast. So the four points that I'm going to make today about the traditional sports versus esports and the major differences you have in those that for coaching is fourfold. We have pathways, we have drills, we have time spent and we have injury. Those are four major points that differentiate traditional sports from esports in the coach's realm. Now, I'm not going to get into what an esport is, if it can be classed as a sport. I'm not going to go into any debates like that. What I am going to go into is talking around uh, these four major differences from a coach's perspective. Okay, so let's get into point number one this is the traditional sports pathways and the esport pathway. So what I mean by pathway is the pathway to professionalism. So you go, generally speaking, from a non-player to an amateur from a pro- to a professional. That is the general pathway um, that you can go through. There is like little facets like semi-pro, um, but you generally go from a position of like a sporting play to amateurization to professionalism. So let's talk about like a football, rugby, the general British way of getting to be a professional sportsman. What generally happens is from a young age, you will go to a sporting club. Um, that is a local club in your area in which um, you will play what is known as Saturday or Sunday league football. We're going to go with the football uh, experience today. So you will be at a club, um, a local club in your area, playing football on the weekends, training once or twice a week as a complete casual. Um, a lot of the times, People can play sport in school, which can often be the next step. Um, A lot of situations, um, people will play both outside of uh, school and in school sports, um, in which something really important happens here. In the general traditional sports pathway, at these two stages, something called scouting happens. And scouting is when people are recognised by a professional scout Um, and are picked up due to certain attributes. That might be something really broad like, they're just really good at football. It could be things like, they're incredibly quick and we could translate that into a sprinter. They could have extraordinary stamina and that could be translated and nurtured to be a really good central midfielder as that's a a, a facet of a central midfielder that is really important, stamina. Um, But that is where scouting will happen. And once someone has been scouted, they are moved forward into an academy setting. So this is generally when people start to think of them as semi-professional slightly more than amateur but this is the amateur semi-professional sort of route that they will go the academy is where people will be often educated but more often than not will be playing their sport to a standard where people are trying to go professional these academies tend to pick up people from a very young age as young as six or seven they can be eight nine ten eleven 12, 13, fourteen, fifteen. Sixteen is generally where academies uh, stop but you will go into an academy and if you are selected to be good enough in that academy obviously you can be bounced from academy to academy and that's quite a big problem in professional football um, especially for the youth um, if you are good enough to be uh, considered by an academy to be going into professional you will be moved into an under-17s, under-18s, and sometimes under-20s, under-21s team. Once you've got to there, you are looking to progress into the first team. That is, at that point, um, probably under-17, you, you go into being a professional player when you get into the first team. And you are coached at every step along the way. Now, this is really interesting for me, because this is something that esport does not have yet. The general scouting and the general pathway that is experienced in eSport is you try to get to Challenger and hope to get noticed. There are some people who have been streamers and content creators. You look at the likes of Jackie Love, who was a streamer um, who recently just won the World Championships. So there are other ways of scouting, but that is the general rule of thumb that most people will accept is the best way to be a professional League of Legends player, to be really good and get to Challenger. Now, for me, that's very interesting. Because why does it not have this? So why does eSport not have this? One thing that Riot has done, and this was taught, spoken about on the last podcast, is in America they are putting money into the secondary school or the high school system um, in the hope to screen for talent and move them on into a collegiate team. So once they have been screened for talent, they move into a collegiate team, which isn't too dissimilar from a club or a school going into an academy and then into the under-17s, under-18s, under-21s twenty one is in traditional sport. Um, But they are putting money into this. How much? I can't say for sure. But this is a big step for me, because I am extremely happy that once this pathway of a traditional sports professionalism pathway has moved into eSport, we will see immense growth in player talent and professionalism. People will stop being as um, toxic, as in some situations uncaring, because the chances of them being replaced are very high. If you look at the people in the football world in England, um, people will wish and pray and hope for opportunities to be scouted. And I believe that if that happens in the esports world, we will be in a much better scenario. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about in Pathways is the way that scouting works. So we've acknowledged that if the traditional sports pathway is translated to esport, it will have a positive effect. I believe that that pathway has been, you know, has been around for a very long time and versions of it and overall has been the most successful in the traditional sport. So I think it will translate. But scouting is very difficult in League of Legends because the general way that one is scouted is just getting to challenger or maybe, you know, streaming. But what you can't see is you can't see early talent that can be nurtured. So, for example, as I mentioned with stamina, if if a seven year old child, you can see them run and run and run and run for hours and has decent technique. Coaches will scout that, they will nurture that, and they will see that they have very good stamina, they have decent technique, but need to improve in in areas X, Y, and Z. Now, in eSport, that has not, and and for as long as I will be aware, will not happen. Because how does one scout for anything other than rank in eSport? By that, I mean, if you are looking at a player... How will we know? What are the markers? Is it damage per minute? But that's always scalable to the ELO or the players that are playing around them. Is it jungle proximity? You know, kill participation? or well, arguably, when all of those are good, you just get to challenger anyway. But what won't happen is you won't find a player that's sat in platinum who is doing extremely well at wards per minute and therefore could be a brilliant support. That situation will not happen you look at things in football like speed control stamina these are things that are both visually and auditory a, a a sound tactic to be looking at in order to nurture something else so the pathway is made extraordinarily difficult due to the inability to measure and create meaningful measures and statistics now that's a really convoluted sentence but what that means is the pathway To being professional in e-sport is difficult because there are not the measures that one can discern in a football game, a rugby game, a cricket game, an American football game, um, baseball. These measures cannot be discerned comparative to e-sport. Now, that is something that I don't know how that will be changed and if that can be changed and even if it could be changed. But I think, again, if something like that can happen, we will see an amazing, amazing jump in the academy scene. We will see an amazing jump in the UK scene. Things like this will be popping up more and more and more. But I think the pathway is one of the massive differences between esport and traditional sport. And this is something that traditional sport has on esport. Granted, this is 100% because of the time frame that we are in. Esport has been around for maybe 10 to 15 years. Sports has been around for thousands. They have more time to grow, but that summarizes point number one, that the pathway is a solid one and hopefully can be translated to e-sport. How? That's a difficult question, but point number two, point number two is about drilling. So when we look at traditional sports, one of the major coaching points that we use in tennis specifically is, um, a lot of people will call it like the 10,000 hour rule in tennis. It's not 10,000 hours. It's quite how much you play. So if you are drilled to the point where something becomes muscle memory, you are more likely to be able to repeat that over and over. So in tennis, what we do is we do something called basket feeding. You will do an inside out forehand or change your grip and understand that a new grip will be more positive for you. So you will be drilled on that time and time again. That could be 10 minutes, every lesson that could be 15 minutes. It could be a whole lesson. It could be, you know, the, the, the macros of it in terms of how often it will happen is is, you know, up to the coach, up to what you believe is the most important thing and the better thing for you to do. But with tennis, it is key. Drilling is so important in tennis because it moves something from a cognitive function to something that is muscle memory. This is something that I am thinking about to no longer thinking about. And for me, that is one of the most important things in tennis. Football is ever so slightly different because it is more scenario based. So in football, you will do a drill that is attack versus defense, and you will have six defenders versus three attackers. You will play out a scenario such as that, or you will be playing out a counter attack scenario where the attackers will be against less defenders because one uh, their teammates have just countered the attack that has gone on from the opposition. So football is very scenario based. Tennis is very... It is scenario-based, but it's more about making it muscle memory, something that's different in football because the majority of the drills, as I said, are scenario-based. Now, why is this different to League of Legends? Well, League of Legends, when one drills, is extremely hit and miss. So how, how does that make sense? So the only real way to drill, um, and I will touch on another way that is similar, um, that I believe can be used as drilling, but for professional players won't be as in, uh, impressive, is... Um, The only way to drill is by playing games. Now, we all know what a solo queue experience is like. You can spend 45 minutes, an hour, maybe even longer than that. And that 45 minutes of your life can be totally wasted. You learn nothing new from that game. Now, that is a mindset thing where one can push oneself to be learning constantly. Why did this happen here to me personally? One can look inward to be able to improve themselves. And one can always take something out of a game scenario that is going to be positive. But what what can happen is you can spend a significant chunk of time that is completely wasted for various different reasons and that is something that's a very bitter pill to swallow so why would you put yourself through that time and time again when that scenario is going to have a negative impact on several things including mood performance lots of other lots of other things like that so the drilling in that scenario can't be scenario based um, and can't be repeatable because there is always going to be something different and these are the two major problems it can't be situational and it can't be repeatable in League of Legends one thing that can happen is great that Riot has done this as a, uh, a practice tool but this this is going to be something that's mechanical and wishful thinking so obviously you will never have um, as Lee Sin the top laner stood completely still for you to queue um, ward hop to an area to then complete the queue, flash kick, or kick flash, put the person where you need put the opposition top laner where they need to be for a positive gank. That won't happen um, in a in a real game, in a real scenario. So whilst it is a very good step, it is one that is only mechanical. This won't work for ranked fives, this won't improve communication. That stuff has to come from playing the game over and over and over and over and over again. And that can be better for professional teams because they'll be scrimming. Now, a scrim is where two teams will have a practice game together, a friendly, if you will, um, and um, we'll learn from that. However, the problem with scrimming is you can't create an environment or a scenario in the majority of the cases of the word scrimming. So an environment such as I'm every lane is losing, I am the jungler, how do we get back from this? That can't and hasn't been created um, for many teams. However... Maybe a freak of freaks have been doing that and that's why they had such a successful LCK run. They had a 10-man roster in which they scrimmed mostly in-house. So those could be scenario-based. But the problem here is that they are neither scenario-based nor repeatable. And that is two things that are incredibly important in traditional sports when it comes to drills. So that is the next major point of contention that differentiates traditional sports to esports, And the last two are significantly shorter. So let's get on to point three. That is time spent playing and practicing. So in traditional sports, you have lots of limitations that are physical, your central nervous system. If you're a bodybuilder, your central nervous system will give in after a certain amount of squats or heavy lifts, your body in terms of muscular effect, Um, At some point that will give in, regardless of what sport you're playing, your muscles will become fatigued, whether you're bench pressing, whether you're running a marathon, whether you're playing tennis, whether you're playing rugby. So your muscles will become fatigued at some point. There are lots of other um, issues, obviously, in terms of physicality um, that that inhibits the amount of time one can practice. Now, sport have got to a point where it is about prevention. So we don't push ourselves to the point where we're throwing up because we can't run anymore. We push ourselves 10 minutes prior to that so we can recover better and don't put ourselves in a negative scenario. However, in eSport, there is little issue physically with the amount of time playing. The difference is mental. So you can get burnout. And there's a, a phrase going around at the moment, which is a bit of a weird one. It's called mental boom where your, your mental your mental or your mentality um, deteriorates to such a point where you don't want to even think about this game, don't want to play, don't want to do anything like that. Um, so the problem is with that is whilst you may not have an issue physically, the mental effect of doing this game and playing this game is difficult. And the, the major point with this is quite how far teams are going now. It is not unusual for players to practice between 12 and 16 hours every day. That leaves eight hours to sleep if you were to practice 16, but no real human being will do work for 16 hours and then go straight to bed and wake up and do the same thing and repeat that time and time again. So at what point does this stop? Where does our mental limitation match our physical limitation in which we can mentally go for 16 hours, but can you go for 17? Is there going to be a point where 17 hours or 18 hours of play is actually going to start You know bringing up other issues so the difference here for traditional sports is that i think it is more effective um and this is one thing that we did discuss in a previous podcast in terms of quantity and quality i think it is more effective to have some medium where you have a good quantity and extremely high quality now that's really difficult and that's not something that is easily met but for the difference, point number three, between traditional sports and esports is the time spent practicing or playing. The traditional sports limitation becomes physicality. The esports becomes mentality. Your mental um, comparative to your physical. So that wraps up point number three. Let's get on to point number four. Point number four has a lot to do with injury. Now, this is the, the, the point. Um, injury is so well documented in traditional sports. You see it all the time. And one of the big parts of traditional sport is injury prevention. Things like stretching, active recovery. So yoga is a really good active recovery. Stretching is a really good active re- active recovery. You have things like ice baths. You have cryo chambers. You have lots of different things that go a certain way to prevent injury. You have physiotherapy, massage, heat therapy, all these different things. Um, and this is not something that obviously needs as much effort in esports because you don't hear about injury in e like you do in traditional sports. Um, but there will be a time where injury becomes an issue. Now, for the organisations that will never have an injury, could be luck, but more likely to me is because they are thinking forward and they are putting things in step for injury prevention now. So there may be, after every game, I want everyone to do some stretching of arms, back, neck, wrists. Um, that is an injury prevention that uh, will, will help teams. You know, maybe yoga in the morning, stretching at night, something like that. Those teams that are putting these steps in now will flourish in the future with a lack of injury. Um, the issue is, with eSport is the acute or minor specific injuries. So by acute, I don't mean small injuries. I mean little things. So for example, RSI is what I would describe as an acute injury. This is not a broken leg, but this is enough to stop one playing league of legends because of the RSI in the wrist or the knuckles or arthritis has developed these sort of things that are, um, minor, not in severity, Uh, but in locality, the location, things like that, where this can stop people from playing. Now, the teams that do put those injury preventions in step will be brilliant. Massage, heat therapy, cold therapy, those sort of things. Um, They will benefit from that massively. But one of the big issues with something like RSI or arthritis will be something to do with rest, and how far can players afford to rest? Now that's a really big point of contention in esports because that's 14, 16, 12, 18 hours that they're playing. Doesn't leave for much rest time and leaves for a lot of time to injure you or make the RSI that you do have more severe and worse. So that is the next major point that makes traditional sports and esports different for a coach's perspective. All of these, remember, are from coaching perspective. How does a coach deal with the pathways into eSport? How does a coach deal with drilling in eSport? How does the coach deal with the amount of time to practice in eSport? How does the coach deal with injury in eSport? All of these things are things that coaches should always be thinking about to try and better their team. And the best way to look at it is to look at traditional sports and how they do it. That is why this podcast is very important for anyone who wants to get into coaching generally. Um, But what this is is a self-audit, a look back at history to see what the more advanced things and people are doing to make your niche and your specific area better. But that just about sums it up. That was a lot of talking and a lot of information within this 20 minutes or so that we have been recording. But I hope if you have listened, you've enjoyed this very much. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time to spend listening to this. We've hit 90 Uh, overall views on this podcast which is amazing hopefully we'll be at that 100 mark soon which will be a huge achievement in which i'll be thrilled with the last podcast did do extremely well but i hope that this has added value to you if it has get in contact with me Uh, come and find me on instagram at league underscore talk or twitter at league talk blog leave a comment let me know that you're here and listening um, and i hope you have a great day i hope you enjoy your week and i will see you on sunday